We're going to be hearing about the angels shouting today, so just a little preparation. So take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2 again. We're walking through the Christmas narrative over these three weeks uh, leading up to Christmas Eve. So Christmas parties have uh, started already. Mark already prayed for our family gatherings. We had a Christmas party the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I'm just curious, how many of you have had a Christmas party already this year? Yeah, uh, quite a few of you. That's pretty good. But at these parties, people bring certain things, don't they? Everybody brings something to the party. It's, It's funny because we all know of that person that brings your favorite dish, and you just cannot wait to have that dish. When my grandma was alive, it was these meatballs baked in oven covered with cheese. It was delicious, and at every family gathering, she would she would make those. And then there's a person that brings a food that nobody really likes, but they don't want to talk about it either, and when she leaves, it's about as full as when she came. And then there's those that come that ask these awkward questions every year. Might bring up politics or something, but they bring a question every year. Then there's the aunt that wants to hug everybody or give you a kiss on the cheek before you leave. There's children that bring incredible anticipation to every single party. Everybody brings something when they come to a Christmas party. And I want to keep that thought rattling in your mind as we move through the sermon today because I will come back to it at the very end. And I, I, I will tie it in with what the shepherds brought to hopefully bring something to you that you can take back with you because I think it's powerful what we're going to see as we look at the narrative this morning. But before we move too far, I want to do just a quick summary. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to the message as we looked at the sign that the shepherd gave. But I always, when I do a series, I try to do a short kind of summary because every week we have different people coming and going. Life happens. And I want you to feel welcome. As the pastor of FBC, I want you to know we love having you here. And when I teach I don't want anybody to feel like, oh, I'm totally lost, or I just don't get it. I'm a simple person. I try to keep things simple, but God's word is powerful, and he can apply it in your lives. So just just a short little summary. So in this particular series, these three weeks, I want us as a church to collectively reflect a little bit more deeply on the sign given to the shepherds. I said last week that the sign was the manger where the baby Jesus was laid. Luke chapter 2 verse 12. Let's read it together. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. The sign is the manger with baby Jesus in it. And last week I showed you a picture of what the manger probably looked like in the first century. And, and it was a, a feeding trough. Can I have a next picture, please? It was, it was a feeding trough that, the, the, that was given um, and found when, we, they, when they did excavations in, the, in Israel. That's what they find, this stone type of manger. So I got an assignment for all the kids in here. Already this week, I've received a couple pictures of kids that have drawn the nativity scene. Or they designed it or created it out of Legos. So I'm asking 
any young person, and even if you're not young, if you want to send me pictures of your nativity scene, I want to use it next week for the children's Christmas program. Right, clear, kids? You can text it to me. You can email it. Have your, have your parents do that. But the bottom line is the manger is, is a dirty place. It's not a place where a woman would typically lay their child. And we'll look at that a lot next week. But Mary did lay Jesus in this stone manger, this feeding trough that was dirty. And we can learn so much from just the manger in this story. So today we'll start in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, where we left off last week. We're going to go through verse 15, and then we'll cover the rest of 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 next week. So let's pause and pray before we read the Word of God. Father, we all bring things when we come to the manger. We all have things rattling around in our lives, things that distract us, things that bring us joy. But this morning, may we learn from the shepherds what they did when they came to the manger. So Father, may the words jump off the page this morning. May, may, may even though that they are familiar to us, May we learn some new things. May we look at it in a fresh new way. And may the words that I share and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God, because you're my rock. You never change. And you're our redeemer. And may we celebrate that this Christmas season. In your precious name, amen. All right, so we're going to start at verse 8. And it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks. So Luke is shifting from the, 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 the home where Mary and Joseph were staying, where we focused last week, and he's moving out to the nearby countryside, and he's focusing on a pasture, on a hillside, where the shepherds are guarding their flocks. So a lot of this story today will be about shepherds. So I want to talk, there's so much we can say about shepherds, but I just want to talk briefly about the, their status in the culture, kind of where did shepherds fit in. So and I want you to put yourself kind of in the story maybe as a shepherd and kind of feel what they're feeling and think what they're thinking. So, so shepherds are mentioned way back in Genesis, way in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 4, there's a man called Jabel, and he's called the father of those living in tents and raising livestock. And during the patriarchs and Abraham, Genesis 12 and onward, shepherding was a noble occupation. In nomadic societies like the Israelites were, they, they, everyone, free or slave, they were involved in shepherding at some level. The wealthy sons of Isaac and Jacob tended flocks, Genesis 30 says. Jethro, the priest of Midian, employed his own daughters as shepherdesses and elevated them in the culture. So when the 12 tribes then moved, um, when they moved and migrated to Egypt, where Joseph was there during the time of famine, this lifestyle of nomad, being nomadic and, and shepherding was kind of, that's all they really knew. And they'd go to Egypt and they see a whole different type of lifestyle, a whole different type of kind of agriculture, which they weren't, they weren't used to. And as farmers, the Egyptians despised shepherds. They hated sheep. 
They hated goats because in their mind that meant death to their crops and to their property where they were trying to raise crops. And Egyptians considered sheep as worthless to eat and as worthless for sacrifices. They're just worth nothing good about them. Imagine Pharaoh's clean-shaven court, and then imagine the shepherds. Joseph matter-of-factly told his brothers about this when they came with the family. In Genesis 46, he says this, Every shepherd is detestable to the Egyptians. And this was new for the Israelites and their shepherding. So after the Israelites settled there, shepherding ceased to hold a prominent position in their, in, their, in their culture and in their lifestyle. As the Israelites acquired more and more farmland as they settled, pasturing decreased. Shepherding, shepherding decreased. And shepherding became a menial vocation. Only for somebody at the laboring class, somebody at the lowest rung. And then around 1000 BC, King David comes on the scene. And temporarily, shepherding is kind of raised back up. But in the minds of the people, David's promotion to king from being a shepherd was startling. Read 2 Samuel 7. It kind of describes that. And then we move to the prophets as we're going through the Old Testament. And sheep herders were typically symbolized um, with judgment and, and social kind of desolation. Zephaniah tells us, Amos, the prophet Amos contrasted his high calling as a prophet from where he came from as a shepherd. Shepherding had not just lost its appeal, it eventually forfeited its social acceptability. Someone, some of the shepherds had definitely earned their poor reputations. We all do at times. But others became victims of cruel stereotypes. Not only from the leaders, but from the religious. The religious leaders maligned the shepherds, would not call them good names. They labeled them as unclean. And they kept them from anything sacred or religious. The further along that the high priests and the Pharisees went, the more they couldn't stand shepherds. Rabbis actually banned shepherding in Israel. Banned them from the best property and made them go out to this barren wilderness type of area to shepherd. And then we have Jesus' birth. By this time, the shepherds were so marginalized. Shepherds were on the bottom rung of the social ladder. They, they, they shared the same kind of unenviable position as tax collectors or even dung sweepers, those that walked around and cleaned up the cities. And only, only Luke mentions the shepherds in his Christmas narrative. So if you've lived in the first century, put yourself in the place of a shepherd. There would be shock that Jesus' birth included shepherds. There's, there's no way that could happen. No way that Jesus could be the promised Messiah if, if, if the, his birth was announced to shepherds. It blew their mind. Verse 9. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them. I don't know about you, 
But if I was a shepherd back then, I would have been blown away. I would have been taken back. I would have been terrified. These shepherds would have been so taken back because they've been alienated and outskirts of not only culture, but religion. And all of a sudden, an angel, one angel, an angel showed up to them. Look closely at what Luke says here. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Circle, the Lord, circle those words in your Bible if you haven't. Radiance of the Lord's glory. If you were a Jew living in the first century and were asked, where does the glory of the Lord reside, what would you say? In the temple, in the holy of holies. And only once a year was the high priest even allowed to go in the holies of holies after all his ritual cleaning. And when he went in there, he had a rope tied to his ankle so that if he would die in there, they could just pull him out. So they didn't have to go in there and see the holy of holies for themselves. Study the glory of God with your kids. It, it will blow your mind as you wrap around what the glory of God is. Just one example in Revelation. John's describing the new heaven and the, and the new earth. And, and listen to what he says. The city, talking about Jerusalem, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. That's powerful. But where does it come from? The lamp. As his lamp. Who's the lamb? Jesus. Powerful. Study it. So Luke tells us that this glory of God appeared in a pasture in Bethlehem to shepherds. And that was shocking. But also it was upsetting to the religious leaders because their understanding of who God was and how God's work is being challenged. They thought they had God figured out. And God's glory shows up and he surrounds these shepherds and they're thinking, we're dead. They, there's pro a good... A good probability that these might have been the shepherds that were watching the temple sheep. And then they're probably going, uh-oh, God's not happy with how we've been taking care of his sheep. We're dead. What's going to happen? And the verse says, they were what? Terrified. Terrified. Verse 10. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. That seems to be the posture of angels, doesn't it? A lot when they come. Don't be afraid. Peace. Peace. Again, try to put yourself in the role of a shepherd. Those that are marginalized, those that are outcasts, on the fringes of society and in the religious community. And then he says these words. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to how many? All the people. This is good news for all people, even the shepherds. No one is ever out of the reach of God's saving grace. Say that with me. No one is ever out of the reach of God's saving grace. Keep praying for your person that you love. If you're walking away from God right now, turn around. He loves you. He's got the best for you. You're not all the reach of God's saving grace. The shepherds weren't. It's obvious. 
And then the next line is incredible. We go from all the people, the large expanse, to listen what this is. This is all the ESV. For unto what? You is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Can you imagine how the shepherds felt at that moment? All those years of being told that you're an outcast, you're an outsider, and now salvation is being personalized to them? That brings us to our key verse, 12, which we studied last week. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. This is the sign so that you know the child is for you. It's not for just the religious elites. It's not just for those that have their life together. It's for you. Look for the sign. If the Son of God can lay in the dirt, the uncleanliness of an animal's feeding trough, if he, if he can lay there, it means that what the shepherds have been told about how unclean they were, how nasty they were, how unfit they were for God's kingdom, how they would have to get everything cleaned up before they went to the temple, they're thinking, there's hope for us. There's a sign. We got to go find it. Can, can you just put yourself in their excitement? A sign that God will meet us where we're at. So this is the message from the angel to the shepherds. And if the shepherds had any doubt that it was a figment of their imagination because it's one angel, all of a sudden God just blows open the sky. Next verse. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory, let's read this together, glory to God in the highest heaven. And peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. That's such a great passage. I, I imagine the angels in heaven looking at what was transpiring, watching the other, maybe the archangel going got down and telling this story. And they're like, did you just hear what, they, what the archangels just told these shepherds? God's salvation is in motion. God has become human. There, there's no turning back now. The gospel is being reached for everyone. And they're like, woo way to go, God. And they're praising God. And then imagine if you're the shepherds. They, they hear all these angels, not just one now, a whole host of them. And they're like, the Savior's for us. He's, he's pleased with us. Did you catch that in the other verse? He's pleased with us. It's good news for all of us. For all his people. We're, we could be his people. Now we need to go. We need to go look for the sign. And we get to verse 15. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They just didn't stay there. They went. 
There's so many things in this Christmas narrative that if we just read it with eyes for like, oh, I've heard this every year. I, I preach this every year. Study it. Slow down. So we're going to pause Luke's narrative here, and we'll come back to it next week. Why don't I give you four thoughts as we reflect on the manger for today. Number one, the manger reminds us that God is working all around to all people. We lightly touched on this last week, but I want to drive this home today. It's very important that we get this. Put your hands by your eyes like this. Hey, everybody. Often we have tunnel vision. We see what we want to see. Stucky, get your hands up by your eyes. <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. I didn't mean to disrespect you. Okay, keep your hands up here. Often we see what we want to see. We don't appreciate the good work that God is doing in other ministries, in other churches, in other people, and in other places. And this manger reminds us that God is working all over the place. We need to get rid, you take your eyes down, of our tunnel, or your hands down, get rid of our tunnel vision and see that God is working. Luke takes us from Mary and Joseph's home and he takes us out to the pasture and he includes shepherds and he says, all the people. One of the greatest spiritual truths that I've had to learn is that Jesus isn't just about my stuff. Typically, we're really concerned about our stuff, concerned what's going on in our life, what's going on in our world, the way we view things, the way we think things should work. Just, just go to this Christmas party and say a few trigger words. What happens? People get upset. Oh, that's not what I think. That's not the way it should be. We're so concerned about our little kingdom. The remainder reminds us it's not just Mary and Joseph. It's not just the, it's not just the shepherds. God is at work all over the place for all people. I want to say this in love. God is less concerned about our stuff and more concerned about his stuff. This not, does not mean he's not concerned about you. He's concerned about all the details of your life. But he's more concerned about getting his plan and his stuff accomplished. I've been waiting for that to happen some days. I just want to stop and pray. So, Father, we don't know what's going on. Thank you for the volunteer firefighters and paramedics and uh, the person and the people involved, God. You're at work in their life, too. Use this. We pray in your name. Amen. But God is concerned with more than just us. I'm here as a pastor for one reason, and that's to point you to Jesus. And my simple-minded I'm here to point you to Jesus. I don't care how weak I have to be. We all need Jesus. And I suspect you're a lot like me. The more you get in your funk and your junk, the more life stinks, right? The story reminds us that God is working all around us. We have to be looking to see what God is doing on a larger scale. We need to take the blinders off. We need to stop having tunnel vision. I really have to remind myself about this, especially as I get older, which is crazy. 
God, I will not do the pity party. I'm just not going to do it. It doesn't lead anywhere good in my life. I'm usually pretty good at keeping that larger view. However, one day recently I had a pity party. My wife's not here today, so she can't say amen. Maybe it had something to do with turning a year older last week. I don't know. It was just Stacy and I driving to Grand Rapids, and believe me, it was not pretty. God, I don't get it. What's going on? Woe is me. I thought I'd be at this place in my life by now. Stacy basically looked at me and said, snap out of it. I didn't respond well. It was a very long car ride. I'm glad we were just going to GR. I have never had a pity party and thought, that was the greatest thing ever. That's why we have to recognize that God is working all around us. And the manger reminds us of that. Amen? The second thing, and this will be fun. The manger challenges our religious categories. Nothing fires up a Christian more than tapping into their sacred cows. Dr. Luke does this. He takes all of the religious stuff of their day and he flips it on the head. He tells of God's glory showing up to a pasture in a pasture with shepherds. He tells of a virgin having a baby. He, he, he tells of God's son lying in a dirty manger. What he said and did did not fit into the religious categories of that day. There were plenty of people that would have said, this can't be of God because it doesn't fit their story. We need to be in the word of God, studying the story, to make sure that what I'm saying and what culture is saying what the, fits into God's story. We need to be intentional neighbors that reflect Christ. We believe that God meets us where we're at, that God's for all people. And that when he meets us there, he doesn't leave us where we're at, right? He wants our lives to conform to the likeness of his son in humility. There's no way that you can come to God and be good enough and say, now I think I got it figured out. We can't. It doesn't work that way. What I need God to do is change me from the inside out. God's got to get the inside, my heart right. He's got to do surgery right here. And I'm reminded of that often. Luke is telling us that Jesus bridges the gap between God and us. He does it by coming human, by laying in a dirty manger. The religious people would have never thought that. But that's our God. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. God wants a relationship with you and me. He doesn't want a religion. He doesn't want rules. He doesn't want, you fill in the blank. He wants our hearts. He wants our minds. He wants our soul. He wants our strength. He came to us in a dirty manger. He put the baby in the manger so the gospel could be available for all of us. God with us. And when we grow and our hearts start beating hard after God, we'll have a love for those that are marginalized, that are on the outside, for those that don't do it like we do, 
for those who, who are on the margin. That's an evidence that you've come to the manger and you know what God is doing. Number three, the manger reminds us and informs us of discipleship. I'm convinced that we don't need Christians who know more. Yes, we need to continue to grow in our knowledge and our love and understanding of Jesus Christ through his word. But we also need to take what we know and we need to be doers of what we know. We need to flee from sin. We need to pull up our sleeves and get involved in people's lives. And that's hard and that can be frustrating, especially when you're with somebody for such a long period of time. We need to be, we need to be people that stop giving up and start investing. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. The manger's clean when there's no animals around it, when there's no feeding going on, when there's no babies in there. But when that happens, there's also no harvest. Right? The manger is messy when there's lots of ox. But when there's lots of ox, there's lots of work. And the uh, harvest is abundant. We have to be people that are doers. Typical discipleship in church is having people learn a lot about Jesus and then half of it or more they don't do. FBC, we need a church that is our doers. So many of you are. I mean, I could go right on down the list. All the different studies happening in homes, things happening with Elevate Oceana, things happening in different people's barns and all over the place. But we got to be doers of God's word. The mature person conforms to the likeness of God, of his son. Romans 8, 29, I guess I don't have it. It says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his what? Son. The mature person responds positively to correction. The mature person is one that can, can love, person that, love someone that doesn't look like them. The mature one is somebody that can hold out their hand and offer forgiveness, and then even if they don't get a response, they react in a way that is Christ-like. The mature person is one who serves when it's not convenient. The mature person walks alongside somebody when it's hard. The mature person invites the Holy Spirit in to guide them. The mature person looks more and more like Jesus every single day. The manger reminds us and informs us about discipleship, telling us to dig hard into being the person that Jesus wants us to be. But the manger also reminds us and informs us about discipleship, telling us to go, to see, to check it out, see what God is doing all over the place. Being a disciple means you're going to... Next slide, please. Being a disciple means you're going to do what the one you decided to follow tells you to do. And sometimes that means going, having that conversation, or whatever it may be. The world did not notice the baby lying in the manger, but the shepherds did. 
because they went. Because they went. I'm going to jump to the fourth point because of time, Trent. Fourth, the manger reminds us that we must come if we are to participate. That's for believers and unbelievers, both of you. Listen. There has to be a decision for all of us to come to Jesus, to follow Jesus. When the, verse 15 says, when the angels had returned to heaven... The angels are gone. The shepherds are standing there. They've had this incredible moment. They could have just easily stayed on the hillside. But no. They said, let's go. Let's take a journey. Let's check this out. Think about this. There are so many things that could have kept them from the manger. Probably some fear. What if this doesn't work out like we think? We've been let down before. Or some questions. Did, did we really just see what we saw? What if we go and it's not for us again? Some pain? Maybe the long hours in the field have led to a divorce. I'm sure there were physical problems. Shepherding was tough work. Maybe some emotional issues because they were the outsiders for so long. But they came. They went. Because to participate, you have to come. And when they came, they brought all their stuff with them. We need to stop faking it and bring our stuff to Jesus so that he can heal. So what are you bringing to the manger this Christmas season? For many, this is one of the most depressing times of the year. And I hate to say that, but it is. That's your reality. You're not looking forward to this. We have to go with all our stuff if we're going to participate. Like the shepherds did. Because the Christ child brings brand new possibilities. The shepherds' lives were changed, but they had to come. The promise of the manger is we come with humility, if we come in lowliness, we come knowing that we're bringing something. There's this promise of new life. We sang about that today. When we come this way, I love what the angel said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't fear that God will reject you because you don't have it just right. Don't be afraid. Whatever you want to put in that blank. He came in a manger to be God with us. Because none of us have it right. None of us have it perfected. We need a Savior. We need this Jesus. All of us. Don't fear. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Put your name in there. I bring you great joy to Ryan. Everybody out loud. I bring you great joy to the gospel's for you. What do you bring this morning to the manger? I'm going to call the men up because we're going to roll right into communion.
the guys that are serving. So once a month here at FBC, we gather around this table to be reminded of God's plan of salvation for those of us that come. That plan was to send his son. He was born in a lowly manger. Manger. Two chapters later, Luke 4, we hear Jesus stand up and tell us why he came. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. We are living in a time of the Lord's favor. But if you die, if you take your last breath and you have not bowed your knee to Jesus, you'll die separate from Christ. And the Lord's favor will not be on you. You will spend eternity in hell apart from Christ. But those of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have God's favor. We have salvation. So this morning, as we come to this table, I pray that you will take seriously the question then, what do I bring? Am I coming to the manger? Am I participating in the salvation that God brings? As we pass around the elements, the, 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 the juice, which represents God, Christ's blood, and the, and the bread, which represents his body, will be handed out to you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you have not come to the manger and laid your life down before Jesus Christ and said, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life, please don't participate. Use this as a time to reflect. Find somebody to talk to. I'd love to talk to you right now before we even do this. Come on up when the guys are passing. Today might be the day of your salvation. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is for you. Enjoy and remember what Christ has done. So let me quick pray. Father, we thank you for being the God who sent his son in a lowly manger. The gospel comes through Jesus Christ and his finished work. And we celebrate that this morning. In your name we pray, amen.